Very wise woman said to me, you've got to go niche to go big. So I went niche. I went after the singular experience of being a mother. I just made things that I wished I'd had when I had young kids. When I had young kids, I didn't have a role model. I didn't have someone I could look to and go, oh, she's wearing bathers for undies today. That's okay. I'm okay. I'm not a failure. Someone else is having a hard time. So I became that person for lots and lots of women. Hey, this is Dan Brophy, and this is Quit Your Day Job, a podcast where I discuss and dissect the passion process tools and tips of some of my favorite creatives. My guest this week is M. Rusiano, who some of you may know as a Sydney breakfast radio host, a stand-up comedian, a singer, an author, a one-time Australian Idol contestant, or a champion of everything that is glitter-encrusted and camp. M and I go a long way back, like 90s long way back. When I first thought about doing a podcast, she was one of the first people I really wanted to speak to because she is the living embodiment of so many of the ideals that I'm hoping to champion with this podcast. There are so many ways that I could have framed this conversation with M. I have just tried to touch on a few of the things that I think might be most inspirational to listeners. This goes into territory like building your audience by getting really specific so that you can target and speak directly to them, growing a viewership and fan base online that you can then take with you to other projects, the lack of self-censoring that has allowed her to move through so many different mediums without hesitation around being the best or perfecting anything, but just trying it to see what sticks. It just so happens that almost everything that M has put out there in the last couple of years has stuck. This is a great episode for those looking to shake things up and experiment with different forms of output. And it doesn't have to be performative like M. You could use this inspiration as an excuse to pick up an instrument, learn a language, start a blog, or go to a ceramics class. As Snoop Dogg says, ain't nothing to it but to do it. And on that note, before we get stuck into the podcast, I want to make a special call out for anyone who's looking for some structure to explore their own creativity or to overcome blocks to do with where to begin or how to continue playing in that space. I'm looking to talk to different people about where they're at with their passion projects, give them some simple tools to help them along the way and find out how I can best continue to speak to folk just like them through my various passion projects, just like this one. If this sounds like it could be you, then drop me a line at danbrophy at gmail.com or direct message me via Instagram at danbrophy. And now here's my chat with M, which I have subtitled Going Niche, Serving and Growing Your True Followers. Enjoy. It's actually quite a trip now because we're in my parents' house. I know. Just to give context, we're in my parents' house. When M and I first met and I was, what, 16, you were 19 maybe? He's so kind. I think I was... How old are you? I'm 34, turning 35. So I'm three years older than you. Okay. So I yeah. Been, Nin- yeah, 19. 15 to 19. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although no, at that, in that, it may as well be 30 years then. Because I was driving. Yeah. Do you remember the Red Gemini? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember, I remember, what was your catchphrase? Like, I don't need to use indicators. I know which way I'm turning. <laughs> was that you? Or that was, yes. was that Dan? No, that yeah. was me. Okay. I, yeah, I know which way I'm going. That's true. And that's from my mother. 
and I give her constant hell about saying that. But yeah, I just used to turn. So well, yeah, so I know that, where I'm going. They don't need to know. It's a surprise. And also because I'm Italian, I assume I'm being followed. If a car follows me for longer than two streets, that's it. They're following me. So I start to take weird turns. <laughs> To, and veering to yeah. see if they're going to veer. I don't know why they're following me. I don't know why, but they're definitely following it's, it's, me it's to kill AF, me or kidnap my children. It's the AFP for sure. <laughs> I, uh, well, yeah, like I, I love to start by asking people when someone says to you, oh, what do you do? Oh. What do you tell them? <laughs> I hate that question. I don't know. I do lots of things. I guess first and foremost, I'm a performer and that that I perform... I write things, I, I literally perform things, I broadcast, I sing, I, I don't know, I don't know, I find that really, I don't like that question and I get, I, I get called an entertainer, I get called a comedian a lot, which I'm comfortable with. I'd say, I'd say that comedian would be a great yeah. overarching term because also in this day and age, being a comedian is so hot. <laughs> and cool not hot as in sexy no but, no no it is well maybe just functionally like, but then even I don't feel like I fit in with the comedy with the comedy community Melbourne's very clicky and um, very white and very male and very straight like a few of my friends are starting to make waves a few of my queer friends Reese Nicholson and Joel Creasy and they're the guys I hang out with so I tend to hang out with the fringe dwellers it's funny how even in comedy which is a bunch of outcasts there are there are outcasts, outcasts of, the in, outcasts. of the outcasts yeah because it is kind of a if I imagine if it's a very white male, middle class male straight, straight yeah. environment yeah. and it's high school all over again in a way yeah and they I always felt I was gonna be dickheady when I get around those guys like you know the Dave Hughes and Will Anderson and Tommy Little and Dave Thornton and even Harley Breen my co-host I always feel like I have to win them over, so I get a bit needy and, and try-hardy around them and not funny at all. Um, so, and I've always felt really insecure about not being accepted in the, into the comedic community because I sing and because I'm a big cabaret and a big camp. Um, and I only started calling myself a comedian like probably a year ago. And I'm on my, oh gosh, sorry. It's my assistant. I have an assistant, you guys. I'll just put my phone over here. Um, I only started calling myself a comedian about a year ago and I've done five... Melbourne Comedy Festival, so... And not just, like, you had a fringe show. They've been, like, sell out. Like you, you played the Forum. Like, yes. they're just... They're yes. huge bumper The Palais. Show. The Palais, sorry. I'm playing the Opera House in April. Oh I'm headlining my, my own gig at the Opera House. It's crazy. Great. And I started in a 20-seater four years ago. I mean, there's so much to discuss. <laughs> like, actually, when I... Because my podcast... It's called Quit Your Day Job. It's basically talking to people who are doing what they love for a living. Mm. And the idea is when I thought initially about who I would want to chat to of the people that I know, you would always have been that someone who I would want to speak to because you've always found a way to do yes. you. Yes. You've always found a way to connect to what you love to do. Mm. There was never really a question of like, oh, look, it's either this or, or like I might go for that other sensible role as a mm. insert kind of more traditional mm. career here. Mm. So in terms of just getting the context, I think in my mind you're... You've, you've got chapters in your life that's almost like that, yes. that, are, that have bench lines in the sand like Idol Radio Perth stand-up comedy yeah. Radio Sydney yeah and I and maybe there's more in there but just to sort of give people who are unfamiliar with your yeah. backstory the the idea that when we first met you were 19 I was 16 you I remember you being an athlete I was yeah, I was a very serious athlete. I was a world junior hurdler that moved into cycling. 
um, and thought I would go to the Olympics. So I was training for Sydney 2000. So I was always, I've always been very focused and driven. I'm a self motivator. I don't need any extrinsic motivations or, or I, I've always been, the fire was lit in me very young and, and it constantly burns and it, it's been painful at times. My ambition has cost me a lot, a lot of friendships, my family, I, I've, I've lost a lot because I'm so ambitious and I don't know what drives it, but it's endless and exhausting. Is, but um, is, yeah. Is it a feeling of-, of Not being good enough. Purpose? Okay. Not, <laughs> not, not, <laughs> Someone mentioned to the, me the term to be not just purpose driven, but to be on purpose. And I mean, to, you seem to be someone who's connected to a feeling of like, I know where I'm going. Yes. You might not, yeah. but I know where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, you're either in or in the way. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> oh God, I don't know. I'm still figure- at 38. I'm still figuring it out. I still don't actually know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't think I'm. I've distilled it down to one thing yet. I don't know. I've been listening to a lot of Oprah style sessions on the podcast, trying to figure it out. But um. But it's a. But that's a really reassuring thing for people to hear. There's because- no end, Dan. There's yeah. no end. I think people think there's an end. Oh, if I just get to this, I'll be happy. Or if I just achieve that and get that job, we'll get... But for me now, I've realised the greatest breakthrough this year spiritually has been it's all the stuff that's happening side to side that, that is good. It's the, it's the living, like in the moment stuff, rather than looking at the end goal, it's the things you're doing around you that you need to drill down on and enjoy. Yeah, 100%. Like that's the, that's the, that's the biggest lesson I've learned now is the taking the little wins. I similarly had a, was really uncertain about what my focus was gonna be and I realized when it all came down to it, I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker and then I thought, okay, well, if I do manage to solve that matrix and get a feature film made in Australia, oh. which I'd only wanna do, I wouldn't wanna necessarily only work in, I got friends who are directing horror movies in Los Angeles. I don't wanna do that. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I wanna tell work in Australia. Ideally, but then if I if I nailed it, would people go see it? Mm. And then I realized the important thing wasn't having a piece of cinema on screen that I made, as much as it was connecting with people. But most importantly, I just want like a nice day to day where I can energetically control the space that I live in, I yeah. work in, and work with people that I admire and am yeah. turned on by. Yeah. And I could do that in any number of ways. Yeah. And I just distilled it down to okay, what do I actually care about? And you know, right now I'm I'm in office space where I dictate the energy, I'm yeah. the terms, I'm telling yeah. my friends who I love the work of, like let's work on this thing together, let's collaborate on this thing. I'm having a ball, and mm. that's all I really need to be truly happy in the mm. day today. Yeah. Like when you well, when you were doing, I mean, at what stage did the idea of not being an athlete no longer have resonance for you? When I fell pregnant to my coach. <laughs> No, I mean, I got really severely injured when I was around 17 and had to change sports. And then I was, I mean, I was in, my whole identity had been wrapped up in being a professional athlete. So when I became unable to do that, I really fell into a hole because I've always been M who's really good at athletics. Um, I was always creative and I always loved camp showy things, but that was just part of my, I hung out with a lot of gay guys because of my mum's job and I've always had camp people around me. My mum's quite camp. What was your mum's job? My mum worked as a medical librarian at the AIDS hospital in Fairfield, Melbourne. Fabulous. So I would wait for her after school with Michael Lucas, one of my best friends. So we met and um, we would hang out with the guys who were usually gay in the hospice because uh, it was really sad. Their families had pretty much abandoned them and 
the AIDS epidemic was, it was in late 80s, it was at its height. Um, and so I would just hang out with these guys waiting for mum to finish work and they were just my people. And we would talk about musicals and all the things I loved and it really never occurred to me that you know, that they were gay or I just knew they were camp and they wanted more from me rather than less. I've always been too much, but I was never too much. So my affinity with the gay community started when I was very young and um, I've always been drawn, I guess because the gay community has been outsiders for so long and I've always felt like an outsider for who I am. So, but yeah, no, the athletics fell away and yeah, I fell pregnant to Scott, who was one of my coaches at the Institute of Sport I'm still with. It's our 17 year anniversary this weekend. Um, so then I was lost. I was studying interior design at uni. I was living in Adelaide and the idol auditions rolled into town and I was kind of bullied into going by, Scott was working for a football club and some of the wags had heard me at the club karaoke night and they said- At the club karaoke, yeah, the wag club the karaoke club night club got you to idol? Yes, I know. That is an Australian story. It is. I know, I'm waiting for them. We should, I should get onto those people. Um, so yeah, so I went along to the idol auditions and kept getting further and further and ended up ninth. And I'd never sung in public in my life. And that's why I was on there, not because I was particularly good at singing. But can I just say, even when I watched the, I was watching, you know, with bated breath, and I remember seeing the point at which you, uh, you addressed, you were about to sing Alicia Keys' song, mm. and you pre prefaced it by saying, my father's never heard me sing before, and the first time he heard me sing was to this song. Mm. And I remember thinking, you're so clever, because everyone's emotional experience of that song for themselves is now framed through a father's journey mm. of witnessing his daughter sing mm. and therefore they get to live that experience mm. through that song with you singing it because you story told it so beautifully and then instantly it gets i don't know the emotional weight and the journey of the audience gets mm. so much more i mean that's ultimately what the show looks to do is to yeah. kind of you know, yeah. find ways to put an emotional framing around yeah. the experience so you i mean you inst instinctively know how to get people engaged and on yeah board. I and it's not something I work at but for me I'm always looking for connection like everything I do is about connection but ironically I'm quite a I'm a person that spends a lot of time alone and I'm also a confusingly loud introvert so I um I often need to go away for a few days after a show or if I've had a particularly social night out because it's just I find it exhausting um but connection for me has been something I've always looked for since I was a little girl just being meeting someone and plugging in and being accepted by and being understood i think i've the, the number one emotion for me most of my life is being misunderstood um because i think people make up their minds about me because i come forward as such a strong you know loud person so i think feeling understood and accepted and and all of that but yeah i've, I've always looked for connections i think i've ended up doing a job that makes people feel connected to me and to also people having a similar experience. I always get that word, I always get starting to be so relatable. I'm the least relatable person on the planet. No, but you know what, I, I was having this conversation... You know me, I'm not. <laughs> I know, I was having the conversation with someone recently is, you know, there is relatability in specificity. Yeah. And if you are, it's like I was using the example and I've used it too many times already, but transparent is, oh. is so Jewish, so gay, so lesbian, so trans, All the niches. so wealthy, yep. so Los Angeles, so music, like so um, entertainment industry. Yeah. Yet within all of that specificity is universality. Yeah. And I think because you ultimately find a way to tell a story that is so specific, it becomes 
very universal. Yeah, well, that was my motto when I when I decided to quit my job in radio the first time. I decided a very wise woman said to me, "You've got to go niche to go big." So I went niche. I went after the singular experience of being a mother. Yes, I, let's talk about that because I feel like everyone has the ability to tap into their similar their version of that, mm. but yet we're sort of encouraged to go broad no. in so many ways. Yeah, like no, that's even a mistake. everyone's doing that. I know. How are you standing out if you're going broad? Who are you? What do you stand for? There's no like I have this strong. And I hate referring to myself as a brand. It's such a wank. But I have strong brand identification. There's no question what I am as a person. Um, and that's an easy thing to maintain because it's the truth. So whenever I'm unhappy or straying from something or if I get offered a job or something, I take it straight back to my gut, straight back to the middle of myself. Does that resonate with who I am? And that's what I run. That's the filter I run through everything, every creative choice I make now. Do I, would I, will I enjoy it? Is it something I want to watch? And is it something I want to make? So when I decided to drill down on being a mother, I just made things that I wished I'd had when I had young kids. When I had young kids, I didn't have a role model. I didn't have someone I could look to and go, oh, she's wearing bathers for undies today. That's okay. I'm okay. I'm not a failure. Someone else is having a hard time. So I became that person for lots and lots of women. Um, so I do that with my art now. I make stuff that makes me feel good. And that's, that's my touchstone but don't go broad drill down on something that you are people love passion i am attracted to anyone who's super into anything any topic i don't care like and i come across these people in my job all the time is someone who is an apple expert loves apples passionately loves apples and and just that kind of stuff i love passion and so even if your topic is strange if you love it and you live it and you roll around in it and you make merchandise and you, you, like that people will love, resonate to. So it's not so much what your product is or what it's how much you love it and how much you believe in it because everyone's looking for something to believe in and grab onto. And if you've got that kind of energy and passion about what you do, people are like, oh, okay, that's great. That's what people buy. They buy how you make them feel, not what you're selling. Like they, they that, I think that's everyone's looking for connection and experience. So yeah, go. Find something in terms of doing what you love. That's a hard thing to sell people because a lot of people go, well, yeah, but I still need to pay my bills. So it's great and all, but I think it's a bit of a pipe dream. But you can find what you love and do that as well as a job that earns you money to pay the bills. You don't have to go, this is going to be my be all and end all. It might eventually one day be that. But I think it's important to find something you're really passionate about and go really drill down super micro on it and do everything you can around it, which is what I did with deciding to go after mothers on Facebook. I just, I made that conscious decision and I studied it. I went online and saw when my audience were there. I posted at seven o'clock at night, three o'clock in the afternoon, nine o'clock in the morning. So they just dropped the kids off and they're checking their phones. I made sure I had an, an update there about something I'd done that I knew would resonate with other mothers and then they share it and then everyone has the shared experience and that's how it started. I feel like you were doing that at a point where no people weren't necessarily doing well there was mummy bloggers but i hated that well, yeah where, where what was the, the the thing about that what was the line in the sand that you drew when you went oh my output my offering is going to be different to to mummy bloggers because i think the idea of mummy bloggers i think the perception was that that's all they are 
And I know a lot of successful mummy bloggers and they have such amazing, rich humans. And the fact that they're a mother is the least interesting thing about them. So I didn't want to be known as someone who was just a mother. I, I'm a person first and a mother second. And I'm a good mother because I'm a person first. I don't let my family consume every waking moment and to suck all my energy out of me and you know, sacrifice and martyr myself for my family. I, I don't do that. And I'm a really good mum and wife because I look after myself first and I feed my creative energy first. Otherwise, I'm just a shitty person yelling at everyone all the time. Is the... So at the point at which you... Because I remember you were doing... Was it, did you do like a Facebook Live video really early on? Did yeah. Did you have a, a Wine Time yeah, style wine time. series? Yeah, Wine Time. Yeah. And was why because I feel like Wine Time you were embracing that technology before anyone else that yeah. I knew. Yeah. Um. So that's an interesting. My husband always calls me a technology pioneer. Yeah. There's <laughs> a there's an interesting duality between going I'm going to target mums who get written off as being technologically unsavvy, yeah. although maybe unfairly. Yeah. And yet you've got this you're embracing this new technology in a way that most people aren't yet because they don't know what to do with it, mm. and you're using it in a way that creates that uses technology which is traditionally distancing to forge connection mm -hmm. by going, let's just have a chat yes. with a vino. Yes. What was the origins of that? There was no thought to it. Kath and Kim? <laughs> it probably. Well, I mean, there's a lot of Kath and Kim about me, ironically, non-ironically. I am that stick combined and I flip into their voice all the time. That was the very first I know. We, we loved Kath and Kim. I know. It was. Look at me. Look at me. I look at me. I, everything I do, I love that. You just to backtrack, you, we started speaking to each other because you, I was working in general pants. Yes. You were trying on a white bikini. White bikini. And I think I asked you how it was, and I, then I think I said, um, look at my Look at my And then yeah. I think you went, oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Sorry, yeah. that was just a little bit it of a time so moment. Of, I know, Doncaster Shopping Center, shop I. And so you, you, you embraced this technology. How did you even, I mean, did you, did you notice that that was the possibility? I just saw the live button pop and up one, and one. I just like, what's this? I think the first one was just me going, is this on? Is there anyone there? Um, I, I don't have any fear about trying new stuff, which is bad and good. I don't, I'm, I don't have fear about doing something that other people have never done. In fact, when everyone starts doing something, it usually turns me off it. I've been on the unicorn train for about 10 years and now they're just everywhere. Like they've destroyed it for me. I mean, I'm sticking with them. By but... the time the world is done, you oh, will be wearing Yoko Ono head to toe black with a beret and thick green glasses. Cause you'd be like, I can't <laughs> they've taken everything. the glitter, the pink, the unicorn. Oh God, just, they've taken everything. I hate it. I've got nothing left. <laughs> but, um, what? My phone never stops. Um, so yeah, no, I, I don't know. I just did the video and a lot of people liked it. it honestly, it's no effort in just being yourself. And it is just me. I don't have to put on an act or, it's just me. So I, I can't teach that or tell you how to do that. But I think Australians especially can sniff a fraud. Um, Which I is weird because I feel like the media is so punctuated with people who aren't, they are. who are dialing it up to an unnatural degree. But those people are paid by networks and are a dying breed. Okay. Because what's happening now is a shift in networks are starting to want people who are bringing audiences with them so certainly in radio that's happening um people are getting hired because they already have a a, a a following they already have fans so you know i think the people who the networks are telling us that we want on the television you know the the, the quintessential blonde newsreader who's young and the um you start to look at the things that are so popular on the streaming services, they're full of weirdos and, and beatniks and gays and, and 
lesbians and trans it's all it's the messy elements of society and the creative ones that are doing well those shows so i think when 40 year old straight white men aren't telling us what we want to watch i think you know that's that's where we're heading so we are there's still there's still the element of there's the aspirational there's the kardashians and there's the but even their bigger figure Mid- middle eastern origin like, or, like origin you know, girls, mm. they're not um, waspy Trump voting, no. you know. But they've uh, also still got that element of, I went out to a club for some unknown, for someone's birthday a little while ago and every girl in there had the pumped up lips, the thick painted on, stenciled eyebrows, the cheeks, the flawless skin. Was, like they was all, it washing? No, it wasn't, sadly. It was like Bond or something, like one of those. Oh, but you know what the weird thing is? Every other club like, in Melbourne now, well, the, many of them, the girls look like the girls who only once went to Love Machine. Uh, like the, the Kardashian-ness has spread. It's, yeah, no, that's what I mean. There's Everyone looked like a polished Kardashian. Like when I was that age, I was awkward and weird. And when I was 18, 19, going to clubs, I mean, I was wearing runners and cargoes, but these girls look like they're going like to their wedding day every time they leave the house. It's So that's again a cycle we're going through. And so I don't, I don't know. And that stuff is hard to navigate. So again, you just stick with what you know. What I know is me and my experience. And, and if, you know, if that resonates with people, it's great. And it's, it's niche, but it's also universal. Well, I mean, you've spoken at length in other platforms about what that experience of doing, going from idol to, and also in your, in your shows, to going from idol to radio, mm. records radio in Perth. And, and I'm really interested in the point at which you found yourself with a kid, without a job, re- working out what, you know, you 3.0 was mm. going to be. Mm. At what stage did comedy become, well, it was well post-radio, where did you find yourself and how did comedy come into it? Because comedy was such a late, a, a, a late decision. 34. Same as Denise Scott, though, who's one of the people that kind of pushed me into it. Um... I was doing the Metro Whip Around on the project, writing 30 second spots, and they were always comedic. And Charlie Pickering comments just said to me, you're really funny, you should do stand up. And I said, oh, no, no, no. And, and Scotty was, was something I was at, and it was mentioned again, and she said, well, I took it up at your age, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. So a few people had commented, they thought I was funny. I mean, I'd spent four years in a really combative situation with Whipper, my co-host. Um, that was in Perth? Yeah, in Perth. And I felt like the least funny person at the end of that. It was not good. And um, so, yeah, well, to be told that by someone like Charlie and Denise and um, Will Anderson was a really early champion of mine. So, I don't know, I just wrote a show. I My career is underscored with me having a crack at things I have no business having a crack at. So Idol, I wasn't a singer. Radio, I'd never done broadcasting. TV, never done it. Stand up, had no idea. Wrote it one woman show, 60 minutes. Like performed it with my friend who was a guitarist at the time. And it was terrible. It was the saintly bitch sings it was called. Cause I was sitting with Scott and I was lost. I couldn't get a job. I remember like the low point we were both unemployed. We were living with my parents. And I'd gone from, like, I was literally on billboards and buses in Perth. I was huge. And we'd been number one. I was a big personality there. And then we came back to Melbourne. We had nothing. Scott was riding two hours to a factory in Dandenong because we only had one car. And um, we just had no money and we didn't know what we were going to do. And he just said to me, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to tell stories and I want to sing. Um, and he said, we'll do that. So I just wrote a show about 
my story so far and popped in songs that I liked that I felt accented that. And that's what I did. And it was tiny. I did it at the Butterfly Club in Melbourne and there was like 10 people there on the opening night. But Charlie Pickering was one of those people, which made a big difference. Um, and then I just built it from there. But I've never studied comedy or... I, I've always loved it, but I'm very careful not to watch too much of it because I'm a sponge. Yeah. I'm super scared I'll rip someone off. So I'm very... Again, I'm just making it up. But I think one of the reasons why it works for you so well is... And I said the same thing about the work that my friend Jess Harris does. Other people have to pretend to be bigger for media, for the stage or for TV. You guys actually have to bring it back and tone it down and almost try and squeeze it into a smaller space. But as a result, you fill the space so Mm. interestingly and so beautifully because it's almost other people might be... I don't know if anyone could sit back and see what you do and say, I could do that. Because oh, they do really all the time. Because I feel like you're, you're like you want to live that life. You don't of, in, of like it's exhausting in, of, of mental and physical exhaustion yeah. the entire time. Yeah. That's another thing they get said to me. Oh, you wrote a book. I'm a good. I've, I've got. I've written a book. Can you give it to your editor? Like that guy says to me. Oh, you're doing. I'm funny. People tell me I'm. Everyone. By the way, everyone thinks they're funny. That's something I've learned. At the end of every stand-up show, someone will go, oh, I get told I'm funny. I, I, I'd like to do that. With radio, I'm a good talker. I, I reckon I'd be good. I could do radio. I'm like, you have no idea what goes into this shit. To make it look to effortless. To make it look effortless. I am constant effort. I'm, my whole life is about effort. To make it look effortless. To put everyone at ease. My job is to put everyone at ease that I'm in control of the next 90 minutes or three hours, depending on what I'm doing. That people want to sit down and know they're in the hands of someone who's in control of the situation, who knows what they're doing. It's not, you know when you go and watch open micers or, or a friend who's trying something new, you feel anxious that you want it to be okay for them. You want, so you've got about a minute to put the audience at ease. And that's what people want. Everyone wants to be at ease so they can enjoy and escape their shitty life or their argument or whatever. So it's, not, it's funny. I don't think people value what I do at all. At all. I think because it looks so easy. My fans do. But I think a lot of people in the industry think I'm just lucky. I don't think I'm respected by my peers. But that could just be me saying that. I don't know. But also they would probably only truly be able to respect what they understand. Mm. And I don't think you would be overtly understood by your peers. because They never come to see me. They don't ever come to my stand-up shows, the people that criticise me. Ever. But also, I don't seek, I don't go put myself up for awards or go to, go to functions. You'll very rarely see me at the opening of anything, unless it's something I actually want to go to. I don't, I'm never in the social pages. I don't, unless, you know, it's, it's a musical or something, camp or a circus. But I don't go to shop openings or bars or, I don't know how those people do that because I don't have the energy or the time. Like, I'm making something at home. I don't want to have to get done up and go and talk to people. It's also on brand for you just to be being a mum. I am, I, but I'm not even. I am at home being a mother and a wife and. But also, your content is so um, perfectly like it's in a, in a weird way. There, people demand that they get a lot of content out because they want to mm. connect with the world. You you just at home doing the thing and the funny frames that you put around the mum stuff yeah. and the fact that so your kids dumb. are so sweet and entertaining. Ridiculous. 
Um, yeah. Marcello's generally just humoring you, but Odie's like, you know, <laughs> ripping the phone from your hands to give it to, to give film it me. the camera. Yeah, she wasn't happy. She filmed me making headphones the other day and she took footage. Like, she's like, she came up the stairs. She's like, Mum, I'm going to film you. She knew that it was good content. And she came up the stairs holding my... Because she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm putting unicorn horn on my headphones. And she's like, where's your phone? And I'm like, why? She goes, you'll see. And then there's a video on my Instagram of Brady walking up and says, what are you doing? Filming. I'm like, oh, my God. I've created a monster. Right. But no, I don't know. And I do do ridiculous things sometimes. Like, and a lot of my friends are drag queens. And that's not relatable, but it's fun. Like there's an there's an element to me I think of relatability and like not aspirational but like entertainment. It's like yeah, and nothing surprises my followers. There's nothing I could do. I mean, if I did something really mundane, like if I went and did an ad for a bank, or if I did you know something, I think there's if I ever sold out proper. Um, that they wouldn't forgive me. Yeah. Is there anything that you've been offered to do that you're like, oh, that'd be sweet cash, but Diet I just Coke. can't do it. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, the one I, that got away. I turned down <laughs> so much money and I just... I, I, why, I mean, I personally, uh, I'm super healthy, but I love a dizer. I don't oh, think I'd have I a problem doing Diet Coke. I did. Because I'm conscious a lot of mothers follow me and look to me and if they thought that I, you know, I'd, I'd hate, oh, I am, so it's okay, I wouldn't normally, but I'll give this to my kid. I couldn't live with myself. Oh, I'll give this to my kid, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. I take that very responsibly. I, 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 that's a heavy burden. I, I think, what, what would I give to my kids or what, yeah. But there's also a headiness of acceptance and flaws and failure and, um, yeah, there's a lot of that. It's okay to fuck up and it's okay to be in your pyjamas till three, but then I'm going to put on a leotard and some eyes. Like, there's this, I swing between really put together and a mess. I, it's interesting, the idea, like, you, you and I and everyone always responds to heroes and what people mm. that we look up to mm. are doing. And my life is really just a collection of inspiration points taken mm. from different people I've admired, but some many of them are fictitious. They're just characters and things <laughs> that I've, I've become um, fond of or ad- admiring of over time. Mm. Who, who, well, we know who the number one is because I'll probably share it with you, but... Madonna. <laughs> well, equal who, number one with her is RuPaul. Oh, yeah, but also what a shaman he is. Oh. What a thought leader he is. Oh, oh. I love... I'm, like he says, he sold subversive drag to the world. <laughs> he fucking did. Oh, Mike, it's my kid's favorite show. It's my, it's my, like, we sit down and we learn our lessons from the drag mother. Uh, I, for me now, even more, Madonna was me. Madonna isn't relevant for me right now. No, but I don't know if she's relevant to many people right now. It's more uh, nostalgic relevance. You know, it's more like. Is she, yeah, the weird thing about Madonna's, um, extre- the extremity of her life and her, even, and her opinions is that it's not actually relevant in a day-to-day context the way it is. <laughs> the work is still fabulous oh, and fun. Amazing. But I, if I'm going to be taking life lessons from someone, it's less Madonna yeah. and more yeah. RuPaul. Oh. Ru- I mean, and there's so many lessons to take from him. And even just the way he conducts himself is a lesson. Even the way he's able to give feedback that's negative but still be respectful of the person. And he asks provocative questions to make good telly, but you never feel like he's stepping over the line of being disingenuous. Um... He's someone I really look up to and would love to emulate that kind of empire that he's made. 
And, you know, I'd love to be surrounded by drag queens full time also, obviously. Happy place. Oh, my God. I'm going to LA in a week and my team are working so hard to make an interview happen. And I will just cry for 10 minutes if I meet him. He, for me at the moment, is the big one. There's no one else I can really... I look up to him the most now of everyone. I've never really had heroes. I've always had a really strong sense of self. I've also never looked at anyone and been envious. I've never experienced looking at someone going, I wish I had her life or I wish I had her husband or I wish I... I've, I don't know if that makes me a sociopath, but I've always just made my own magic. Yeah. I believe you've got to make your own magic. I think a lot of people look to other things to turn them on, but or every human is capable of making their own magic. They are. And, and as soon as you kind of realise that, that it's really just you at the end of it all, you're much happier. You can enjoy your life a bit more. But Rue, um, Oprah, I reference her a lot. Mm. I identify with her a lot. I understand. You know, she came into everything late and, and was told she was not right. And she her singular self-belief is something I think is really cool. It's funny because the people who tell you that you can't, that, that they think of themselves as being funny, therefore, you know, I could do your stand-up. I, I've written a, I've, I could write a book. Mm. You know, can you help, like, you know, therefore they could get it published. I think that there's such a gap between most people's idea for what they would like to experience and try or try their hand at or be seen as and the actual doing of that and, mm. I, and I think that's where that's where you're where you really shine <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I make shit happen Scott my husband always says that I'm a doer there's sayers and doers in this world and I am a doer um often I do it before I even say it or I'm I just yeah I, I will never I, I will not be laying on my deathbed I will have no regrets in terms of not going after things. I'll have plenty of regrets of you know, how I've behaved at certain times or being away from the girls and all that stuff. But there's no... I've left nothing unturned. Before you said that you think that the ambition that you have has cost you things along the way, including friendships, do you think that that's just part of the course and they've, you could have had a quieter life that nurtured and cultivated mm. more um, more friendships and more mm. time spent with other people mm. but because there are so many hours in the day do you think that that's what had to give probably I also it was attracting a certain type of person and it's a hard thing and I think it's a hard thing to realize you got to look at the people around you and I was attracting a certain personality type that was really unhealthy for me it was people grabbing onto me who were not weak but saw me as a strong anchor who got shit done and so I would get very unhappy you know especially women I would have unhappy women you know almost draining me of my energy and my love and my wanting to be in my it's like I got single white female a few times by some girls um who were really toxic people and I bought into it and I was always trying to fix them and help them I'm a helper um I'm an empath, like my horrible superpower of the good and bad is I've empathy. To, I, I, if I see an old person, I get teary. I'm worried they're alone. I, yeah, it's my youngest daughter has it. If I see someone get injured, I get electricity down my back. Like I, so yeah, I was attracting people who knew that. And so I think shedding friends is a really hard lesson that I did, like even right up to now. Yeah, I have such little energy because of the way I am and what I do. I have to be really careful in who I give my time to. So 
and it's not many. My circle of friends is very small, very, very, very small. Yeah. Do you have? Is that one of those things that if you are going to let someone into that circle, I'm not good at that. I don't take on new people. Mm. <laughs> I, I suppose it looks like your core has been around you the for a same. long time. I don't. I, I'm not good at letting people in at all. I've never been good at that. I'm distrusting. But at the same time, an open vein. Like, it's, I'm a walking contradiction and I accept that. But th- it takes nothing. Like, if I meet someone and I really, something really works with them, and this happened recently with a guy, John, gay, of course, um, he works at my local cafe, we just clicked automatically. I reference this obscure, do you know Royce and, um, have you seen the video of the two old women that sit in the bed? Royce and, oh my God, I'm no. about to change your life. I'm about to actually change your life. And he had seen it. And I said something, Christ on a wheel. And he just looked at me and he said, oh, Royce. And I said, oh. and, that, and then so now John's in me in a circle. So it's, sometimes all it takes is that fickle as I fucking am. <laughs> An obscure pop culture, camp pop culture yeah. reference. I know how I got in. Camp. Yeah, <laughs> how you got in, exactly. No, I don't know. Yeah, I, I do. Michael Lucas, Lyndon. I mean, you're away. You're in and out, but you've been a long stay. But I, yeah, I also feel like, you know, I don't need my. I'm the I'm the least needy friend in the world. But also, who can afford to be these days? Like our lives are so, mm. like low maintenance. Yeah, all people, about that. I think I love the idea of people vibrating in tandem. You know? Yes. You're just alongside each yes. other. You look to your right. You see a friend doing amazing stuff, and you're like, Oh my God, you're amazing. If, yes. if our paths can cross and you it's can great. spend some time together, then heaven. Yeah. But I had a, I had a missed call from one of my friends who I've known since I was 14. And she'd be someone who I would see every year, maybe for a coffee or something like that. Just like where we left off. Mm. Effortless, mm. enjoyable. That's what you want. You know, I don't think, I don't, actually I feel like I, I had a friend try and pull some needy shit and he's sort of a friend of, a friend in my sort of extended circle. Uh, I was talking smack and just sort of being a general uh, teenager. And I just was like, I, when I recognized what was going on, I was like, I've worked really long and hard to completely eradicate this energy from my life. Yes. There is no way in hell yeah. I am going to maintain a friendship with someone no. that that carries on like that. Because at the end of the day, I I want I, I think you teach people how to treat you. Uh, I think if you accept certain fair. types of behaviour, that's that's what you're going to get. Yeah, and that's how you get bad relationships, as you know. And that's, mm. yeah, I think lots of people just don't realise you can teach people how you want to be treated, but also. Takes a certain personality type to be my friend. It's a marathon. Definitely helps if you're gay. <laughs> you know the pop culture references. Well, I just wanted to uh, yes. finish up talking yes. about the. Have we even achieved anything? Yeah. Have well, you answered, we, asked no. any of the questions I, you wanted I, to ask? I actually I scan my because I, I like to open the podcast with a little snippet of what's to come, and yeah. I use like a little grab oh, in the God. first fifteen seconds. What grab are you and do? every now and then I make sure I'm not talking, so that that could that potential grab could be it. Yeah. And you've given me like five that not only summarize what I want this interview to be about, but what I want the whole podcast series to be about. So you have oh, 100% nailed it. Well, um, that's me, a walking fucking soundbite. Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> you guys put a little E on it. Who, yeah, exactly. Who's, who doesn't swear on the podcast <laughs> these days? But you know, so now, uh, now you're on the radio every morning in Sydney. Yeah. That's not national, is it? That's just yeah, we're national. Are you national? Well, we're national at night. Okay. So they repackaged the show seven to eight, and we go nationally in all regionals and caps. How did it come? How did you go from stand-up tours that were very successful, oh, mind you, no, in I great? Don't in, in, <laughs> so success. So Facebook, con, Facebook content, mm-hmm. stand-up comedy, stand-up routine, which seemed to happen around the same time as Facebook mm-hmm. in my in my mind. 
Um, did you go book then radio or radio then? No, book? I started doing my own podcast series, Deeply Shallow, that went number one and it was massive. And Off um, the back of people knowing you through your stand-up comedy. Yeah, and, and Facebook. You had a, through your social media social presence. media presence. So you had a, a number one... In nationally number one podcast yeah. off the back of the social media presence that you built yeah. speaking directly to moms. Yeah, yeah. And gays. And gays. They really go hand they in hand. They really so do. Perfectly. They've got all the same taste in everything. It's and, a great market to have. Yeah. And loyal. So loyal. Someone said to me uh, when I said I was I'm coming to chat to you, they were like, oh, she's really polarizing. And I said... I don't understand that. I know, but I love that. I mean, How what am a, what I a, polarizing? What a, but do you know what I get is? that all the time. Yeah, but also if you were a bloke, it wouldn't be the case. I know. If You'd people knew Sandler. how... <laughs> you know, if people knew how painstakingly... How much I hold myself back from saying what I actually want to say sometimes. Because I'm aware that would be... I get that a lot. and the, Or I get controversial. Like, I'm not controversial. No, do you know I'm what it is? Safe. It's, I'm white, bre- I'm left wing, pro marriage equality. I'm a civil libertarian. I'm a humanist. How am I controversial? I think it's old, good old fashioned misogyny. Yeah, it is. I know it is. Isn't Who it? said I was polarizing? It's uh, annoying. Yeah, it's like a, a neighbor. neighbor. Like a literal, just a neighbor of mine. Oh my god! See that? And now, because the needy performer me is like, who doesn't like me? Who is that? I need to find them. I need to convince them to like me because I'm very uncomfortable with people not liking me. No, but I don't think I. I mean, don't you think as well? Like the key to a good columnist in the paper or the key oh, to a good yeah. person on the radio. You have to love you or love to hate you. Yeah, you but also, you, but something. you're just in, you're as inclined to tune in. Yeah. Because they stir up the yeah. other in you, and do you know what I, that I. Whenever I post a little vlog that I think is a bridge too far, it's just enough. Yeah. And I think that that's and and that's the stuff that I think is the real marrow of what people love to hear, need to and need to hear. Mm. I think love to hear and need to hear are two perfectly opposing mm. ideals. And if they need to hear it, they're probably not going to like it. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't think I'm controversial or polarizing. Just me, dude. But also, what else? What do you want? Like. Roven Sam. <laughs> Look, they. I will never badmouth Roven Sam because fuck, it's a hard job, mate. Mm. It, I'm in the trenches. I'm really. What's it like? It's hard. How do you, how do you come up with content it's, for so many? Hours oh, that's of fine. Content's fun. It's never a problem. You don't. You don't run nah, out. Of we shit. make up stuff on the spot. We're improv comics. Yeah, true. We literally make up the show. Um, Harley and I are good talkers. We're good storytellers. And if, you shouldn't be doing radio if you're not a good storyteller. It's true because you don't have to, like I don't ever hear. There's never did topics it. and go, oh, that was a slow day in the no. slow day of content. But like today concerts. we did sex robots, um, dog news. Um, I talked about a little kid got 23 magnets stuck in his penis. Like that's the stuff we do. And then I also did a break on mother guilt and people, please stop assuming that I'm really good at everything and that I'm well balanced. I struggle just like you do. Because I wrote a post saying I was meeting Pink and a lot of women were like, oh, we look at you like that. You're so strong and you're so capable and you get everything done and you're, you're a mother and you work full time and you got this stuff going and you seem, you know, you, how do you do it all? And I'm like, I'm not doing it all. I'm a mess. Most of the time. Like last night, I was like, I've got a swollen eye day because I was crying so hard last night. Because I, I said to Scott, I can't physically keep doing this. And I'm so sensitive and everything breaks my heart and then I swing to ah fuck it all fuck you fuck. I don't give a shit about what anyone thinks about me I'm a strong independent woman and then I'm crying in the corner because someone's called me polarizing so it's just exhausting and breakfast radio amplifies all my worst qualities as a human really it just puts a massive funnel on my personality flaws 
So I'm really controlling. I'm abrupt. I'm blunt. Um, like I said, you're either in or in my way. So if someone stuffs up my product, I'm just relentless in my pursuit of them to correct it. So it's in a team. I'm not a good team player. Uh, no, I'm not. My, I'd love to be. I'm a good team player if everyone in the team is exactly like me. But could you be surrounded by people who are just like you? Yes. Really? Yes. You wouldn't need people just to, to well, be Well, Michael like Lucas followers? and I are the same person. Okay. And Lyndon and I are the same person. Mm. So I find the people that I've ended being really good friends with are blunt, creative, camp. They can hear you say, fuck you, and they're just like, fuck you too, I'll see you in 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Ben, who works on my show, um, Big Gay Bear, he'll ask me to do something, and I'll just say to him, I fucking hate you, I hope your penis falls off. And he'll just go... Bitch, do it. So they're the people I need to be around. Yeah. Everything, I have a good heart and everything I say comes from a good place, but sometimes it's delivered with poison and vitriol. That's not coming from my soul. It's coming from my mouth. And, and I'm impatient. So that gets, I want everything yesterday. Yeah. Everything. Yes, I'm so impatient. I'm, I'm impulsive. I'm impatient. And I'm hedonistic. And that all gets amplified on radio. Mm. For good and bad. Yeah. I was about to say also... There's a reason why there aren't more like Buddhist monks on commercial radio is because, know. you know, I think if you were completely like sitting on a mountaintop in Dharmic Bliss. I crave that. I, but that's it. That's Once the journey. Once a week I fantasize about quitting and growing bananas on an island. I just say to Scott, right, that's it. I'm becoming a farmer. I don't know why a farmer's always my go-to. I'm like, <laughs> the old country. Oh, yeah, I don't want to do this. I don't do this anymore. I want to be anonymous. I want to be unknown. I want to, I want to raise chooks. Mm. But breakfast radio, to answer your question, is the hardest job in the world. I mean, that's not true. <laughs> there are people who detonate bombs for a living. It's the hardest job in my world. Good one. In the entertainment industry, it like breakfast TV would be the thing I'd say because you have to either look perfect, but it's it's a matter. What is the hard part? So if, if coming up with the ideas isn't hard. Getting up early. It's not. It's not coming up with the ideas. It's. My job isn't to come up with all the ideas. I have producers to do that, but I find it hard to find people who can come up with ideas that resonate with me because I have such a strange, I don't know, compass. My content compass is quirky, mm. for lack of a better word, another word I hate. Um, it's off kilter, it's weird. Weird things appeal to me. I don't want to talk about the same thing as Kyle and Jackie O. I don't want to talk about the same thing as everyone else. I don't want to... Whatever's the number one thing... You're taught in commercial radio 101. What's top of mind? Talk about the number one news story. And I always argue with why everyone else is doing that. I'm going to talk about this dog that bought a bomb back to its owner and they, it nearly detonated, but the dog saved it. Like, I want to talk about the kid who shoved the 23 magnets in his dick and the doctor who operated on him was Dr. Wang. That is amazing content and i want to talk about everyone's talking about the bachelor this morning i despise the bachelor i hate that the end prize is a man why aren't they competing for scholarships and jobs women need to compete against each other fine but don't make the end prize a man mm, that's so true so it's hard and I, but maybe some people find it easy i don't know i find it really hard because i care yeah. Do you, it also, I take back. It's not the hardest job in the world, you guys. I will now lay awake at night and think of all the surgeons and all the fucking like everyone. Surgeons dial it in. They're having a. They're, no, they're, they're I so think all, it's not the hardest. Of course, it's not. I'm just talking shit for three hours every day and doing fart jokes. I take it back. I take it back. Well, all right. It challenges me. And not getting it's, enough sleep. Yeah, it's the end. There's a headline about me every day in the Daily Mail. I cannot say it's hard to stay brave. It's hard to speak without fear because. 
you, you know you know you can just see the headline straight away in the daily telly or daily mail or you know like i can see it straight away and it's happening it's cutthroat sydney breakfast especially is cutthroat and everyone's just sitting around with their knives out ready and i'm the fourth breakfast show in four years and everyone sees it as just my show and sca have taken a real risk in hiring me and will it work and it's a i feel that pressure intensely so that's I also feel that, you know, I mean, I, uh, the idea of, you know, polarizing or whatever you want mm. to call it, what it means is you've got, a, the audiences are split into people who are fervently for you yeah. and potentially as against you. Yeah. But the fervently for you is so much more important yeah. than having 100% of people being indifferent to you. I know. No, indifference is my worst fear for, as a performer. 100%. Mm. Well, I, I always love to finish by asking people, you know, if someone would... If I, when I bump into you in a year's time, mm. hopefully we'll be making content on an island while you do your banana thing. Yeah. Um, well, what is, what is a project that you would love to have really nailed in the next big chapter of life? Well, there's two projects I really want. One, I'm... I'm really looking into not setting up my own charity, but aligning myself to better help women. I was doing some work with Share the Dignity who provides sanitary products for homeless women. And I really want to go down that route of um, inspiring women to help other women rather than tear them down, which sounds so gross and trite, but um, donating sanitary items and doing a big drive and a big push and I'm still trying to figure out how that all looks now but you know it's the idea of filling the MCG with pads and tampons and, and or or building a shelter and paying for it all a domestic violence shelter so that's what I'm mulling over at the moment and my work are incredible and going to help me facilitate that today FM and the other one is I really want a variety TV show I want a platform for international artists and just interesting people to come on. I want a drag queen behind the bar. I want a house band. I want to be dressed like Judy Garland. I want to hold a cocktail. I want a chaise lounge to lie on while they perform. Um, camp, big event TV is what I want to make. So that they're the two things that I'm kind of mulling over and working on. So yeah, I, I need to, to stay sane. I need to take the focus off the intense obsession with myself and shine that out so helping other people helps me be less self-absorbed and obsessed and then the other thing is my real creative that's what i really really want to make that's my ultimate end goal is judy garland graham kennedy ellen graham norton style yeah they're the two things but i think it's going to take more than a year hey, well, that, yeah that's true also you know think about your target market they'll be the only people watching tv in five years time I know. <laughs> so it's, that's but perfect. i don't want it on the commercial networks okay i want it to be subscription yeah. Like a, yes. yeah no i want i don't want any restraints i want to make the product and then sell it after i don't want to be constrained by sensors or sponsors Oof. yeah because then you can't make what you want to make well 2016 you released a book released a like mm -hmm. album or singles mm -hmm. single single mm. you got a had a number one podcast you became a radio red breakfast radio host mm. you had a sellout two had tours two, tour, two sellout concert tours you mm. played the palais yes i just feel like to have got pregnant had a miscarriage <laughs> that was this year i know oh. it's been a big year it's been a big life and and now it's been a bit like yeah but it just also seems that you get more you get better at it as you go i mean you always uh, seem to I say feel like that i'm failing i really feel like i'm losing control and fraying at the edges 
Yeah, but the, what's what's the alternative? You chose one of the things and you had a nice time just focusing yeah. on one thing. I'm, I'm incapable of just... Like, you know, you could, have, you could have a lovely life just focusing on one thing. And, I know. You know. But I'm so scared it's going to end. Mm. So, cause I, cause, so I have to furiously work at the sides and everything else. Yeah, I love it. I think it's just you, you're too clever and capable for your own no, good. No, I'm going to end up having a stroke. I smell burnt toast all the time. I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> just, just like the car following behind you. I don't know. It's coming. If you're listening to this looking for some answers, uh, my, my response to you is there's none. There are no, there's no answers. But maybe the thing is, it's just, it's just the pursuit. It's just it is. spinning plates. Spin plates. Until they say finish. yes. When you're scared, say yes. Always. That's how you know it's right. If you feel comfortable about it, fuck it off. Or as I like to say, if you're about to leave the house and you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, is this too much? It's just enough. <laughs> Good, Coco Chanel, don't take anything off. <laughs> and I need to do that regularly. And I don't, I add. If you look in the mirror and think this is too much, add one more thing. <laughs> There's my fucking logo. Add one more thing. <laughs> God. Oh, thank you so much. That Thanks for great. having me. Oh, heaven. We'll push this out. I'm sure there'll be some Again, <laughs> I don't think my job I don't think my job is the hardest job in the world. Polarizing. End it. So that was my chat with Em, and I got so much out of that conversation because Em is just the living embodiment of the quit your day job manifesto. There were many ideas she presented that I think are so important, but in particular, I loved her suggestion of just going with what you know she decided to tell stories based on her own experience. Also her idea of going niche, so she got super specific about who she was speaking to and she did everything that she could to best communicate with her audience. Even going as far as to research the best time of day to post online so that she could start a dialogue with mums that allowed them to feel spoken to and catered for. An important thing to recognize when you are trying to market anything is the what's in it for me for your audience. But for M, that was already built into her concept because she set out to make something that she wished she'd had when she was a first time mum. Before M began this most recent stint in radio, she built her following via her vlogging and her online output primarily through Facebook. So it meant that when she got this new radio show, she came pre-packaged with an audience that was coming there for her. Now this is not just relevant for you if you're looking to start a radio career. Anything that you may want to do from visual arts like painting and illustration or even typography through to making music or film or being a florist, by sharing your ideas and growing a following online, you then have a ready-made pool of enthusiasts that can become your fan base and potential customers once you start to sell something. So M found this out firsthand when she started selling tickets to her stand-up show based on the audience that she accrued via her Facebook vlogs. If you were only to take one thing away from this conversation, I think it would be the idea that there ain't nothing to it but to do it, as the Reverend Snoop Dogg says, because all of M's ideas have started with her not really knowing how to do something, but being really interested to find out. And I feel like first and foremost, that is our jobs as creatives, to be really interested and if we're lucky, fascinated by ways to tell our stories better. Well, that's all for today. 
Before I go, one more shout out that I'd love to give for anyone who would like some assistance with their passion project. I'm looking to have a chat to people who are at various stages in their process of being totally stuck and having no idea how to begin expressing themselves through creative means, all the way through to people who are probably doing something a little bit in that space but want to get better at it, breaking through creative blocks, busting procrastination, all the stuff that we generally face at various stages in our creative processes. I want to talk to you because I want to find the best possible way for me to create work just like this podcast that allows me to work with and play with people in this space. So if this is interesting to you, then please drop me a line at danbrophy at gmail.com or hit me up via Instagram at danbrophy. Well, that's all for this week. See you next time. And until then, why don't you try journal writing?